I was being fitted for some dress pants and a couple sports shirts some time ago. I'd carved out a couple hours to devote to considering various cotton and wool fabrics and learned whether gabardine was still in or not. Well, all I know is the materials felt well-made and the person guiding me as I built out my wardrobe was a gentleman named Matt Benever. It's not a surprise that I thoroughly enjoyed the opportunity to nerd out about clothing, its construction and quality, but for those who are less familiar with me, it might be a surprise to learn that a sales associate with whom I happened to meet on one random occurrence at a local clothier, that he and I would cross paths several times years later. And since then, I've gotten to know Matt. He actually reached out to me around the time I formally launched Curated CT and shared with me his own business venture, Bard's Clothing. We kept in touch, and in July 2022, I was invited by my friend Nan Price to attend my first SIP session in West Hartford. And imagine my surprise when Nan told me who would be giving this TED Talk-style presentation, Matt. This event is where I saw firsthand what really drives Matt. It wasn't fashion per se. It was that how we visually present ourselves can signal information about us to others, whether we realize it or not. Our clothing tells a story, and we might be wise to know how it can help you tell yours. Like any narrative, it can be controlled by you or by others if you let it. So one takeaway was clearly that more or less, it behooves us to be mindful of our attire. What stood out to me, though, was how his message was one of empowerment, not about thumbing noses or about a particular design or look, but about communicating your values. In 10 minutes, Matt weaved together a history lesson on various social and commercial trends, how our shopping habits have come to impact the environment, and the importance of connecting our clothing choices to our personal values all catalyzed by a personal encounter in a parking lot while attending CCSU. It's a story I think worth sharing, and while our recorded conversation is not exactly a reenactment of his formal talk, I hope it gives you a taste and that you will come to find how simply effortless it is to talk with Matt about, or nerd about, I guess, over just about anything. So I hope you enjoy this. Here it is, my conversation with Matt. Hey, Matt, how are you? I'm doing well, Donald. How are you? Good. I, I'm i still getting used to this whole <clears throat> podcast recording thing. I feel like I have to put on a voice or... I'm obsessed with uh, Conan O'Brien's podcast, and it, that's like a big part of his shtick is like, yeah, and they'll be like goofing around before they hit record, and then he goes into this deep, dark, like... Hello and welcome back to the podcast. And everybody starts dying laughing because they're like, what is this like intro thing you're trying to do? <laughs> that is so funny. And actually, I'm so glad we started with that because I think that's going to be really relevant for some of the things that we're going to chat about. So before we get started, and I know we will, how... Just pausing for dramatic motorcycle backfiring effect. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, well, before we get started, and I know we will very soon, um, I would love if you wouldn't mind taking a minute and and if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself. Yeah, my name is Matthew Banover. I am the owner of Bard's Clothing. I'm a custom clothier located in Connecticut. My whole mission is to tell your story through custom clothing made in America. I started this company in June 2020. Uh, you know, back when COVID was supposed to last two weeks, I thought this was, was a good idea. Time to start a business. Yeah, this will be perfect. <laughs> you know, I'll get a little bit of time to get my sea legs and, uh, you know, by the time summer's over, the world will be back to normal. And here we are three years later. And um, it's pretty incredible that it's been almost three years. That's wild. But I have just 
had this obsession with American-made clothing and small businesses. And I thought if there's a way to create these and create a connection between small businesses uh, made in America and then use the medium of clothing that we all use on a daily basis as a way to tell our own story, there's something there. Um, because I think storytelling it's almost uh, an overused word nowadays. Every brand, it's always like, tell your story. But there's Absolutely. something to that. You know, there's, if, if a brand is telling a story, if a product needs to tell a story, if you work at a job and you know that your job is to tell the story of your service or something, what do you think you are? You know, as human beings, we're all a product or a service or we're doing something in a market and we need to tell our own story. And one thing we all have in common is that we all wear clothing. So uh, that was the outlet to say, hey, we can express more of ourselves through this clothing. I, I love that. And I, I think it's so... I think it's so relevant right now with so much emphasis on authenticity and who you are. And, and as you said, like, you know, personal branding, I guess, and we've actually talked about this. Uh, I've asked you about this personally, like, yeah, I'm trying to figure out like what I should, you know, what should my look be? And it's, I, I think that the danger that I have and feel always is uh, maybe you're, maybe some people would call it pretension, but I would say just, am I, am I, is what I'm wearing or my brand reflective of who I am, or is it some aspiration of who I want to be? And I'm sort of like acting in this role. Um, <laughs> and, and so I, how do you help people or how do you talk through what, what that should be for someone who may be wondering like, all right, I don't, I don't know what that is. You know, I just go to Marshall's and buy whatever the hell's off the rack. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but maybe for whatever reason they want to up their game or, you know, they really want their word about, uh, you know, that they're hearing about all these microplastic problems and garbage and fast fashion and the waste. And maybe they want to do something better through the environment or what they're, whatever they're buying, you know, decisions are, or they're, they just want to like look better or whatever it might be. Yeah, I I try to take a very approachable stance on clothing. I think my unique selling point, and it's the factor in how I talk to people that I've seen work the best, is that I'm always trying to find common ground with people. What's What's the thing you're interested in, and what am I selling, and how do we... How do we make that the starting point? But usually the best way to do that is I tell people how gigantic this topic is. People try to minimize it. And by minimizing it, they try to make it absolute. They try to make it all or nothing. I'm either in dress clothes all the time or I'm not. I don't care, so I want to be in sweats all the time. I'd, I work from home, so I'm going to buy cheap clothing all the time. Life is not that. Life is not all or nothing. Life is not absolutes. Some days you're going to feel like dressing up. Some days you're going to feel like garbage. Some days you're going to have a wedding to go to and need to uh, wear something awesome. Some days, you know, that's the thing. Life is all about ups and downs and lefts and rights and constantly moving what is the thing in you underneath all of that that is constant? What what is that say? <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me, one thing that I've been talking to a lot of people about is first and foremost, you have to ask the question, are you dressing for them or are you dressing for you? A lot of salespeople or people people facing um positions have to dress for the audience, for their clients, for their bosses, for their offices, for right. whatever. They need to have that. But at the same time, there is a sense of inward 
about it. There's a sense of, I have respect for myself. I have, you know, I need to put my best foot forward. And so there's a sense of outward dressing. And then the people who dress for themselves, I often find don't realize or they do realize and they just won't accept it is that they're also dressing for the outside. They tell me I wear this because I'm, I'm comfortable. Okay. Well, like, why can you tell me more about that? Like why? And they're like, well, you know, I just don't want to dress like this and I don't want to dress with the cufflinks and pinstripe suits and I don't need to dress and all the Like, so you're, you're naming what you don't want to dress with and you're going as far in the opposite direction as you can. There's a whole middle ground that you're skipping. There's a whole middle ground where you can express yourself through very nice casual clothing. If one thing that a succession, the show is telling us right now, it's that there's oh my God. a huge market. Started. Yeah, there's a huge market for casual luxury. I mean, every outfit there, I don't think there was one suit in that first episode. Well, there was a couple, but the main, the kids and Logan Roy are all wearing casual clothing and every single item that they're wearing, even their t-shirts are like five, $600. So there is a massive market for this casual clothing. Even me today, I'm in a flannel and a t-shirt, but what's important to me is made in America, made well, made in a local economy. I don't want to, you know, be flying things all over the place. My shirt, my button down shirt, my flannel is my brand. The T-shirt that I own is made in America. It was $35, nothing crazy. The jeans that I have are made in Nashville. I am head to toe as comfortable as you could be, jeans and a flannel. And yet it still rings true to me. So I'm dressing for me inward and outward. Anybody who says something about my outfit, it's going to mean something to me. And people, people can definitely... People can definitely gain a lot by breaking down this whole what is clothing thing into the fact that it's a lot. It's a big topic and people just try to minimize it. You know, people just try to say, I'm just, I never wear suits, so I don't need to ever dress up. That's not true. You do have to dress up for something. I guarantee a funeral, a wedding. So there's something in your life. You need to know who you are on those days. Because guess what? Those days are big deals. So who are you on the days when you need to dress up? And believe me, I mean, you've probably seen it. I've seen it. We've all seen that absolute idiot who walks into a funeral clearly wearing, oh, I just pulled it out of the hamper because I didn't even think about it. You know, the person who, and I get it, funerals are last minute. It happens. Okay, but you we all know those people who just don't care or the people who show up to weddings. You had this invite for six, seven months and you show up in this. There's and that's the impression you're going to leave on a room of 200 people, you know, that you just couldn't be bothered. Uh, You know, I think there's a lot to say about once you start asking yourself, why am I dressing? Is it inward? Is it outward? Where do I fall on this? But also, I need to know that dressing is a spectrum, and I need to understand where I am in the casual realm, in the comfort realm, and in the dress realm. And do they overlap? It's, it's, it, it very much goes in. It's no longer the days of the 50s where you had your dress closet and your casual closet. You went to a 9-to-5 office, you had your clothes for that job, and then you came home and you you know, painted the fence and did the laundry and stuff and went to your kid's ball game. Like that, that day is over. We are now in a very blended world of dressing and it's a beautiful thing, but we need to look at ourselves internally. Do you know when that shift happened or, or why? I know you've, you've delved into some of the history of, Mm -hmm. of fashion and, uh, I think I've heard you say that George Washington is sort of a 
or there's a story <laughs> involving George Washington. I'm 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 sure I'm confusing it, but something. But um, <laughs> yeah, when, when did it, when did things go from you know that that sort of uh, place and time for things to anytime anywhere? Is it mm-hmm. is it really as simple as you know the rest of our lives with the internet and and streaming and have anything when you want it, when you want it, or is there something more that you've seen? There's definitely a lot of trends. A lot of them do have to revolve around um, the world wars and the availability of material. Um, to answer your first kind of shot in the dark, uh, George Washington on his inauguration <laughs> day, uh, on his inauguration day, he wanted to uh george washington was obsessed with his appearance obsessed with his appearance with his image he it was like he knew he was going to be in every textbook around the world forever and he just wanted his image to be remembered in the right way and he would import fabrics from around the world he spent thousands of dollars on getting the finest garments made even for his uh when he led the um uh when the when he took charge of the uh army he was like all right we need to make uniforms for them this need this was a top priority he knew that looking a certain way was going to get the mission uh, accomplished and what he did is when they finally when they finally defeated the british and he was on his inauguration day he decided not to wear a military outfit which pretty much everybody had always done when they got elected to something he decided no i'm not going to do that this is now a time for peace we've done the military thing <clears throat> i want to wear a suit look like we the people because that's in our, uh, you know, all of our writing. It's we the people. It's this is a democracy. This is our new nation. So I wanted to appear as a civilian. And he got a suit made in Hartford, Connecticut and wore a brown suit to his inauguration because he wanted to symbolize that it should be fashionable for all Americans to dress in made in America clothing. I'm trying to live up to his expectations. But, um, to, that is uh, so fascinating. Yeah. What were we talking about <laughs> before that? Um, oh, oh just, trends. Just... Yeah, trends. Yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so if you look back in, I don't know, 100, 100 years ago, everybody had big suits. It was all you know, pleated trousers, very big, very dressed. Clothing was so status driven. How 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 you dressed, what you looked like, really told where you stood in society. You know, if and if you could afford more cloth, because cloth was very expensive and there was very transparency in the supply chain, the bigger your pants, the bigger your jacket, the more cloth you could afford. It was a sign of wealth and, um, you know, prosperity. So when the First World War and even the Second World War broke out, they needed all available textiles to go to the uniforms for the army. So they put restrictions on how much cloth could be actually sent out. And that's why you started to see suits and tailored clothing to start narrow out. But also around the same time in the 1930s, there was, up until then, most of your clothing was made to order. You went to your local tailor and said, I need 10, you know, long sleeve shirts. And they would make you 10 long sleeve shirts. And that's it. And then you would leave and you go about your way. And that's how you did all of your shopping. I need this thing. Please make it and go. But once... They started needing to crank out on a global basis uniforms that couldn't just be for Donald Pendergast or Matt Banover. They needed just a shirt and, you know, make it a large, make it a small. So then this rise of ready to wear 
started to appear. And that had never really appeared anywhere in the world before. So after the rise of ready-to-wear, people started saying, oh, well, I can get my essentials kind of one size fits all and it's cheaper. And so, okay, I'll do that. And I don't really care that I'm paying for something that doesn't really fit because it's less expensive. So then this shift of what quality is started to happen. And then in the 90s, there was this massive offshoring of uh, jobs. So it used to be um, there was a lot of tax incentives and there was reasons to manufacture clothing in America. And the, I think it was in 1996 and also in 1992, they offshored all, they got rid of all of that. And they said, you know what? We don't need these anymore. And all those jobs went to China, went to India. And then all of a sudden there was no reason to buy made in America clothing. It was just going to be cheaper if I could buy it halfway across the world and pay them. So then it really quality went down. And sorry to interrupt, I just, yeah. but you're, you're now able to, I mean, you source your clothes from American, uh, I'm, seamstress is probably the wrong word, you know, um, tailors and, and people. So it, it still exists though today. It still even exists. Even though we've like dismantled things. <laughs> yep. So, there are about five manufacturers in america that will make suits and sport coats and all of that and i mean you go to china there's one on every block you know you could go into a random hotel and they'll make you a suit or something i mean (laughs) it's the the uh um, the textile industry in america is insanely just disappeared i mean it's just i mean I don't know about you, but I remember when I was a kid, we went on a field trip to like Lowell and saw the the looms and the sewing machines. And it's like, yeah, because it's like a museum now. Like it just doesn't exist. This whole industry just vanished, you know, and we used to be such a powerhouse. Actually, um, the Civil War, the American Civil War almost became a world war because the South supplied so much cotton to the entire world that Britain and France almost got involved because they're like, we can't let this happen. Like, we can't let this whole industry collapse. Like, America used to be a powerhouse in the textile world, and it's just completely been sold out for profit. And that is it. It's just profit. And now with machinery being so good and also generations removed, it's almost so hard to get back to where we were understanding what quality is. People think because it's expensive, it's quality. False. There's much more that goes into it because I can find the most expensive fabric in the world and send it to a sweatshop in China and have them make a suit. So it's got to be the fabric. It's got to be the labor. It's got to be all of that. Then there's, um, you know, my garments for a two-piece suit, my garments start at about $2,900. That is the cost of doing business in America. That's like if you're going to pay people livable wages and have about 40 hours, 30, 40 hours of handwork go into a garment, that's like where it starts. That's what it should really look like. It's not some crazy amount of um, money. It's just because we see online and on Instagram, you know, buy two suits for $150. And it's like, well, if I can get these products from here, why would I ever spend any more? So we're so confused about this. And that's why you've also seen the decline of service jobs, tailors, cobblers, seamstresses. They've gone away because nobody cares about quality. If my pants rip, I'll just get a new one. They're cheap. I don't care that they ripped because they're cheap. I don't care that I outgrew them because they're cheap. We have become awful consumers. We have created the problems that they're the big corporations are trying to solve. You know, we're like, oh, well, what happens if I gain and lose 20 pounds? Oh, so now all of a sudden drawstring pants are super in. 
you know, we're slowly moving toward becoming the people who look in Wally, where they're just, you know, laying on that bed and they're all oh fat, wearing a onesie. <laughs> no, it really it, is. It true. is hard sometimes to avoid that Wally uh, imagery, especially when on a cruise. I'm always like, yeah. God, I, am I like my one little robot away from <laughs> becoming like Wally? But no, I, 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 I love, I think, I think it's such a, I think it's such an interesting point, and I think it's so much of what drives me as well, this idea of uh, how how we buy, the decisions we make. It really is a, a, a cultural thing. Yeah. And, and what is acceptable and what is, you know, the, the, the commonplace, easy thing for, for us all to do. And I don't mean easy, like convenience, push a button, it shows up easy. I, I just mean um, socially acceptable, easy, right? This is, yeah. this is, you know, people like us do things like this easy. Yeah. And I, I think, I think this is such a, a, a ripe spot because, you know, it, it's the same uh, whether you're talking about like reusing, I don't know, uh, you, you're using rather reusable bags or sandwich bags or you know, mm-hmm. cloth things or yep. my God, someone was talking the other day uh, about a cloth diapers. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sure I, I'm, I'm sure there are people who still use cloth diapers, but they are far and few between. I think in the last few years, there's been a little micro resurgence of cloth yeah. diapers. But, any, but anyway, um yeah, I think it's 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 moving that direction, and it's interesting too because I, I think about as you're describing, you know, the the person that goes to the wedding and maybe they, the what they were wearing or even that they were going to be wearing anything in particular was an afterthought. You know, oh well, well I'll grab it out of the hamper. Um, I think of I think of my dad, not necessarily because he's grabbing things out of the hamper, yeah. but it's it's not. Um, he's, he's frugal and thrifty in this really weird way, because on one hand, he doesn't care. I don't think he, he doesn't care about the outward appearance that you were describing. Like, you know, what do, what do they want me to look like? What do they want me to wear? He doesn't care about that, but he also doesn't really care what he looks like. Yeah. And what I found so interesting with him uh, more recently as we were talking, in fact, I was, I was down visiting him in Florida where, where he lives uh, last month. And we were talking about sneakers because, you know, he, he's now flying back and forth to the Northeast to visit <clears throat> us up here. My brother's got a couple of kids, you know, my grandparents are, are, are getting older. And so he's got like some clothes up here. He's been like leaving or like having things sent up here. So he's got something he doesn't have to travel on the airplane with, with things. Anyway, my point is we were talking about sneakers and he ended up buying a pair of like new balance, like nine nineties or something, you know, like actually like a decent sneaker. Um, Mm -hmm. or at least I I still, I I think the nine nineties are still like that series is still a well-regarded shoe certainly is in that price point. But anyhow, (laughs) um, I said, I mean, it's like, well, maybe I'll get another pair of sneakers for, you know, wherever. And I, and I said, well, why don't, why don't you get a pair of sneakers from Victory Sportwear? And do you, do you know Victory Sportswear? I've heard the name, but I've never looked into the brand. They, I, I so they're they, they're out of Fitchburg, Mass, and hmm. they're actually they're actually they're handmade there. And the the, the guy that runs it, I think his, name, his name's Stephen. Um, he ended up, I think he himself, you know, uh, got into the business, you know, um, you know, as a I don't know if it was an apprentice. I don't know how, I forget the exact story that, that, that he's posted and whatnot, but um, at some point he ended up acquiring a shoemaker in Maine that decided that they were going to like sell a business or go out of business. And, and they found in him someone they could trust to steward the business. And, and so they, so he's kind of taken that on. I think that was like in 2007 or so. So there's this guy and and his business, I should say, I might not just be literally him, uh, in Fitchburg, Mass, that makes shoes. Um, yeah. And not only that, but he he they're they're repairable. They're, and I think I think it says, uh, and I'm sure there's you know it's up to the condition of the uppers and, and the materials, but uh, apparently they can they can resole them up to like four times. 
And so I'm like, Dad, why don't you get these shoes? You can get them resold, you know, if and when you wear them out and you don't have to throw the shoe away. And that speaks volumes to my dad. Yeah. And so here's someone who doesn't care or, you know, the idea of spending $210 for a pair of sneakers is like, what? Like, I can go to, I can go to insert big box store here and get them for like $19.99. I don't care what I look like. Um, or what they are or any of that sort of thing. But as soon as I tell him that something is actually repairable, now he's, now I've got his attention. Right. Um, and, and he actually, I think he, he ordered a pair actually. Um, and, <laughs> and, and they're kind of, yeah, uh, I, I probably should. I know it's like, you know, who knows, maybe after this, this podcast, is... you'll get a free pair. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Well, actually, <laughs> oddly enough, I emailed. The reason I know this guy's name is Stephen, or at least someone there is named Stephen. Um, I emailed them uh, a few weeks back when I was in Florida because we got on this topic, and it dawned on me that the, the pair that I have I actually bought through Huckberry. Um, I love Huckberry. That's where I got this shirt. Really? Yep. That, is that one of those like, like Flint and Tender shirts or something? Yeah, they have a whole. This is a. Oh my god. Yeah, I have a couple of Flint and Tender. I forget the. This is like 45 or something like that. Um, but they have T-shirts, three for 95. And uh, But Flint and Tinder has a whole Made in the USA tab where they just sort everything yeah. just by Made in the USA. And I keep it open on my desktop all, all the time because I never know when I want something. That's where I get pretty much all my casual clothing. No kidding. Oh, that's so cool. Well, I, I'm amazed at what... Huckberry. I don't know a whole lot of, of literally how Huckberry works or, or, you know, what, what they, what all goes into what they do. Um, but it seems pretty, it, it seems, it seems, you know, it, it, it's, I don't know. I would, I would say like that, that's a lot of what I hope to be able to achieve with, with curated, you know, this sort of um, idea that you're, You've got brands, you've got some of their story, you've got people actually using the stuff, they've got, you know, all of that, uh, you know, I think it's it's pretty good content around the products, and then they've got these kind of exclusive, uh, in some cases, you know, products, maybe it's a different shade of material or something else that's been made specifically for them, um, and... It's just, it's, I don't know, I think it's, I think it's amazing. But I, I was able to actually, I went on the website for uh, uh, Victory Sportswear. They had like a little like web form. I filled it out like, hey, you know, my dog, literally, who's right behind me here, Radar, he uh, chewed through the shoelace in the right shoe. Mm -hmm. And I literally can't tie the shoes. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, I really like these sneakers. I like, I have them to take care of them so that I you know, can continue to use them. And, and I eventually have someone out to get them resold. I, or if, if I don't already, I'm, I'm, I, I, th- I think I've always read that the soles are usually good for three to 500 miles, which you'd think is some huge number until you realize, Oh, you <laughs> do like, you know, five miles a day and it quickly right. adds up. So, you know, three yep. times a year, I'm having to replace the soles in my yeah. shoes. Yeah. Um, but, uh, about, you know, a week later, I heard back from, from Steven who sends me an email back and he's like, Hey, um, absolutely. We can, um, let me know what color you have and I'll, I'll, I'll send you a pair. Um, oh. and like, he's, he's not charging me for a replacement shoelace. Like that's <laughs> kind of amazing. And and uh, on on top of that, you know, I, I asked them about the, about the the repairing and how does that work, and you know, uh, how do I uh, how do I go about you know uh, doing that and and the the cost and time and everything, and, and he had some details there for me, and it was just like this is this is great, and actually maybe this is a good time if if it's all right with you, I. So I kind of I, I kind of mentioned to you earlier about my about my jeans and you mentioned jeans earlier yeah. and 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 ripping and I'm, I'm like oh my god and I of course I it the the jeans were fine but I feel like in the last like week or maybe it was a week and a half ago it went from there being like a hole like that develops always in the in the crotch and usually like it's it's small and you can you know you can you're okay 
Yeah. But I think in the last week, it's like becoming Swiss cheese. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, it's at the point where I think like if I were sitting down in a certain way, in a certain place, you could probably tell. This is literally... Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> what? It looks like you got bit by a dog in your crotch. It's so <laughs> bad. It's like a rock short, was it rock short test? What is the, um, I can't even, I'm, I'm butchering oh, the guy's name. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my God. God. It's really bad. It also speaks to the fact that my thighs are way too fat and rubbing together. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but this is, this is, this is the problem. And, and these are, you know, this is this is that like kind of stretchy, like this is not denim. Yeah. You know, this is not 100% cotton. I don't is is denim cotton or is denim What is uh, denim? Uh denim is yeah, denim is like a a form of cotton. It's like dyed and woven and Okay. There's different kinds of denim. There's like selvage denim and there's all this other It's like its whole industry, you know, just like wool. And I know I know way right. more about wool than I do about denim, but yeah, I know that <clears throat> yeah, denim is its own beast and there's different kinds of denim, but I think, you know, going back to the quality topic and those pants are a perfect example and many things are a perfect example today just because you can make a thing out of something doesn't mean you should. I think jeans are a perfect example. All these like super stretchy jeans. Okay. Like I get it. You want to be comfortable. Like what are we what are we sacrificing here? We're sacrificing quality, we're sacrificing longevity, we're sacrificing all of this stuff and it's just like just so what? You can sit a little bit more comfortably. It's like the those polyester materials are not made for the way jeans are built. So they're more susceptible to damage, really? to sagging, to yeah, there's the the way seams are put on clothing is very much in relationship to the material that's being made. So a lot of people who get those stretchy jeans notice that the ass starts to sag. It's because there's all of these pockets and stuff behind it you know on your butt starting to pull and pull and pull and you're constantly sitting and pulling and you're just pulling this fabric apart whereas denim is a <clears throat> natural fiber so it pulls but it has the buoyancy to go back into shape so the, these polyester materials these fake materials these synthetic materials are they comfortable sure but you're going to go through that pair of jeans every two years, whereas mine's going to last 10 to 15 years. You're spending 80 bucks on these pair of jeans because you, wow, don't want to spend a lot of money. 80 bucks every two years, that sounds a hell of a lot more than $200 once every 10 years. So people are just not thinking long term when it comes to clothing. That's the biggest problem when it comes to clothing is this whole outfit of the day mentality what am i what am i going to wear this week what am i going to wear this weekend and that's as far as i've thought i don't care because i don't know who i'm going to be six weeks from now you know this this saturday i'm the matt who wants to wear a hat to brunch i don't know if that's who i want to be six months from now and the way these corporations have pitched it to us is that that's a good thing you can constantly reinvent yourself and blah 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 it's it's too much it's not good for us to think like that it's i mean it's just we're constantly open to buying new things and it, they've just they've shackled us with um the mindset of we have to be uh consuming all the time because we don't know if we're missing out on something awesome, I don't want to invest in two hundred to three hundred dollar jeans because what if the style goes in or out? What if I don't like the wash of jean? I, you know, all of this. I, you know, what if it doesn't go with this cute top that's on sale? Like all of these things are the reason why get it cheap because if you don't love it, who cares? It was cheap. 
So given all of that, I, I need to replace these genes, right? Yes. And so I agree with you. Like, I want to break this cycle for myself. Like, I am done spending, you know, I mean, $80 if I get them on sale, maybe. You know, there's, there's, you know these, these silly jeans are $120 a, a piece. Yeah. Um, and, and just like the sneakers, I would rather spend twice as much, but knowing that either it's going to last longer or it's something that can be repaired. And... I, again, I'm. I think you mentioned uh, something in Nashville. I saw something on. We've mentioned Huckberry already. I saw something. I think they've got a, a, a denim maker, and I think they. I think they use Japanese denim um, out of North Carolina. There's someone um, fashioning yeah. uh, Raleigh jeans. There's Blue yeah, Delta. Yeah. Um, the ones I have on right now are Imogene and Willie. That's like my go-to. Um, but actually. Zahner's is a uh, men's store in Vernon. <clears throat> I love them. They just started carrying Cato jeans, <clears throat> which I believe are made in California using Japanese denim. So really? I, I've had my eye on these jeans for years, but they're not inexpensive, and that's why I like them. But I I have, I want to try them on or at least see what they feel like because they come in so many different um, cuts and sizes. I'm like, okay, well, I, I, I definitely want to try them on first. Um, so, yeah, Zahner's just started carrying Kato jeans. I'm definitely going to go there soon and pick up a pair. Interesting. I'll have to I'll have to check that out because I yeah. equally I, I kind of want to try something on before I buy it. Um, I, I know it's not always uh, possible, because uh, the other one that I I came into knowing maybe about two years ago was the was it the Hartford Denim Company Hardenco, yeah. and I guess they're now or they've been out in in New Hartford, Connecticut yeah. now for a while, and I think I feel like they had some kind of storefront kind of area, and I think they've shut down any kind of like come in and try things on or something. I've I, 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 I like a lot of local places and, and this is of course I say this with all the love <laughs> in the world. It's not easy, right? And that's why we're trying to make this easier. Yeah. Um, and because I think that's another place where I'm like, oh, like they make they make these jeans and and they and, and correct, correct me or well, to, you know, it maybe others are the same way, but they seemed to also offer with the sale of their jeans, which are absolutely not inexpensive whatsoever. However, they do include some limited lifetime repair. So if I get this hole that I've developed, like I do, um, you know, I could get it back to them, presumably, or wherever they work, whoever they work with, I guess, for, mm -hmm. for that. And Depending on what it is, they're able to, I don't know, I guess, patch it, you know, put another new, a new piece of material. I don't know if they're just yeah. covering the hole, if they're actually somehow stitching it in so that it looks fine. Clearly, you know, the, the, you know, that the, the crotch area, the inseam space there is, you know, it doesn't have to look pretty necessarily. And frankly, I don't need it to, you know, it, it could, it, it, it could be that, that, uh, that battle scar that I've had these yeah. jeans for. <laughs> <clears throat> keeping them alive time. they look like darth vader yes <laughs> <laughs> and and that to me just that just appeals to me um it, you know i and, and I, maybe it shouldn't as much as it does um have you have you worked with them before is have you have you are, are there others like them that that uh do the do the others work the same way I have not worked with them before. I talked to Luke um, when I first started Bards because I wanted to carry the jeans, but uh, they wanted a, a, a minimum order um, so to carry oh, stock. Oh, yeah. And I just, uh, starting out, I just didn't have the capital, and I think that they're doing the right thing. I would want that also. I just, you know, didn't have any money. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> we unfortunately weren't able to work together then, 
but I don't have a pair of my own um, from them. But it, from what I know, they do a lot more like custom. Like you can pick the threads, you can pick the style of the, of the stitch, you can pick all of that, you know? So it's not just like their model. That I really like, that appeal of it. But at the same time, I mean, I would be surprised if you got that pair of jeans and in five years, I would be shocked if there's any kind of damage in the crotch area. Like true denim is so durable. You know, it's like, I've had this pair of jeans that I'm wearing right now, three years wearing them a couple times a week, wash, wear, wear them everywhere. And yeah, I'm a big guy. Also my thighs rub together. There's not, you would look at the crotch and say, you bought those last week. There's no, hint of discoloring there's no hint of wear and tear there's nothing you know true denim test yeah yeah exactly (laughs) yeah um you know true denim it's it's durable and that's what consumers have been made to believe that they don't want you know and uh that's the upsetting part (laughs) wow well i this is this has been, as always, fascinating. I feel like I know. I know we, we've talked about some of this stuff together in the past, uh, and 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 having some of the, hearing the, some of the same um, things from you again and again. I'm I'm still captivated. So <laughs> I thank you so much for just you know for for giving you know spending some of your time with me this morning. I I, I I've started as as I as I get started with this. I want to have a, a common question that I ask everybody that I, I get mm-hmm. to talk to. Yeah. Um, so I would, you know, and, and that really is centered around, of course, all things local. So I, you know, I'm, I'm would love to know, Matt, if there are say three local favorites, it could be businesses, it could be places, things to do, um, you know, here and around Connecticut and, and, you know, feel free to include things on your bucket list. You know, maybe there's something you've you've heard of you want to try um, that you that you haven't yet. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I think I am. I mean, you are also, uh, which is why one of the main reasons we get along is that such a Connecticut groupie. Like, I just feel like Connecticut yeah. has so much to offer. I never <laughs> want to leave. I'm always telling people that. Well, why do you love Connecticut? I'm like. In 45 minutes, I could be skiing. In 45 minutes, I could be on the beach. In two hours, I could be in two of the biggest cities in the world. I could be in Backroads. I could be in Hartford. Like It's all right here. Um, but I think my, my top three favorite things, are number one would be the Book Barn down in um, Niantic, Connecticut. Oh, yes. I could spend hours there. And I have. And I do. And I can <laughs> plan on continuing. Um, but it's all... It's like uh, literally a barn that's been converted into a bookstore within five or six different satellite buildings. So you can walk around on this uh, plot of land that they have. And I mean, it's just, oh, it's just amazing. And all the books are uh, used books. So no more new. It's all recycled right. books. They're all donated. You could go in there with $50 and walk out with 12 books. You know, everything's five, six dollars. Oh. I love it. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I've gotten into over the last year or two has been local markets. So like Market 1115 in Manchester is a big one. Um, there's all of these local markets where people who, um, you know, curated would definitely are definitely showing at. Um, there are, they're all over Connecticut, especially in the warmer months, big outside ones. So I think local markets are, I'm obsessed. I go, I do all of my shopping for other people at local markets. Um, and I, there's no greater feeling in me. And it definitely is a, a vanity kind of thing. But when I give you a gift and I'm like, yeah, oh my God, I bought it at this market. It's made by this girl. She does this and she, you know, this is her story and this is how she got into it. And they're like, this is so cool. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, people helping people. I'm like creating this through way. It's amazing. <laughs> like, I'm, I love to be a part of it. I love everything about it. Um, 
And then finally, I, even with gas prices, what they are, I love driving. I just love getting lost sometimes. Uh, sometimes I'll just take a back road just because it's gorgeous. So I would say, like, if you can, get on, like, Route 8 from Waterbury down to, like, Bridgeport. I mean, go through, like, the Naugatuck Hills or Route 7 from, like, Norwalk up to, like, North Canaan or something like that. Like, it's yeah. insane how beautiful some of these areas are. And stop off, stop at some random diner, stop at some, you know, mom and pop restaurant, like do something like that. Like you never know what's on these roads, but I would definitely say like driving around Connecticut is just one of my favorite things to do. Those are my top three. And, and I know we're going to get barred clothing uh, listed on, on the curated website uh, ASAP here for sure. But where, if people want to learn more about you, about Bard, uh, where should we be sending them? Yep. So you can go to my website, www.bardsclothing.com, or you can follow me on Instagram, Bards at Bards Clothing. Um, I do all, I don't have a storefront. I do all in-house or in-office consultations. Um, so I come to you with a suitcase full of fabrics. I measure you. The clothing is all made in New York. I get it. I do a second fitting. Um, but you can always reach out. I do free consultations if you're within an hour driving distance. So even if you just want to hear more about it or you've been thinking about it and you want to get more, I'm happy to come out to you and talk to you a little bit more. So please follow me, message me, email me, whatever you want to do. And Donald, thank you. I mean, I, I'm, we've known each other for years and we've come in and out of each other's stories. And I'm just so honored to be sitting here with you and just in awe of everything that you do, trying to bring communities and people together. You do it in such a beautifully unique way. And it's, I think we need more of what you do. So thank you. Well, thank you very much for that, Matt.